Hello, Parkview crew. Good to see you today. Yeah. All right. Everybody feeling good? Looks nice and cool. I want to say hello to everybody all around Chicagoland, all the different Parkview campuses around at Orland and here and uh, New Linux and Homer Glen, everybody online, everybody on Facebook Live. Glad that you are maybe tuning in today if you're on vacation or somewhere else around the country uh, as well. Glad you made the choice uh, to be here. It's going to be a great time as we dig into God's Word today. Uh, but before we do that, let me just tell you just a, a short little bit. Uh, this last week, uh, I was with my wife and with Pastor Tim uh, and his wife Denise in uh, Indianapolis at this thing called the North American Christian Convention. And uh, this is a gathering of churches, uh, kind of like Parkview, from all around the country, big and small, all, all over the place, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of churches, thousands of people. And so I got to have lots of conversations with people uh, over the course of the last five or six days. And oftentimes it comes back to, you know, how's things going uh, at your church, at your place, in your city. And so I got to share just all kinds of stories about Parkview and what God's doing around here through uh, us in missions and, and in Rooted and with students and camp and all those sorts of things uh, that we have and, and we have coming up. And, and the more I talked about Parkview, the more amazed I just become with what God is doing with us and, and in us and, and through us. And I'm just, I'm so glad and happy to be a part of this place. I love this place. Do you love this place? This is just a good place, isn't it? Man. We're so, we're, so, we're so blessed to be here. And if you've been around here for a long time or just a little bit, I'm, I'm glad that you're a part of this place as well. Uh, I also had some really cool conversations with people just who are in unique seasons of life, if you will. Uh, we're away at a conference, so they were kind of opening up, and I talked with one uh, guy who feels like, you know, their kids are graduated, and they're kind of empty nesters now, and things aren't going great for he and his wife in their marriage, and things are kind of crumbling, and he didn't expect that, and she says she's going to maybe leave, and, and it was just, he seems like, you know, it's, it's kind of like this very difficult season in their lives, and so we talked about that. I talked to another guy uh, who's been working for probably 25, 30 years of his life, uh, but now as he gets at 50 years old, about right now, he hasn't worked for about a year. And he started, he just started pouring his heart out and how, man, I didn't expect this, you know, and I thought at 50 years old, I would have the best job of my life. And, you know, I figured my savings account, you know, would be up and to the right. And, and he starts talking to me how, you know, they're on their last bit of savings and, and he's just, he's losing, he feels like confidence and, and purpose and, and all of these things. And I talked to that guy long past midnight one night. I, I talked to another couple who had raised their kids up in the church and VBSs and all the different things we talk about. And now as they get into their little bit older years and young adult years, they're kind of, they're away from church. They're kind of holding God off like this. And it is breaking these parents' hearts. And they feel like it's just this impossible situation that they're dealing with. What do they do? And I started thinking about all those conversations. I started thinking about our study uh, this weekend. And a lot of you around all over Chicagoland and here today are probably facing some very difficult, seemingly impossible situations. And, and we don't usually, you know, share that, right? When we come in, you know, on a, on a weekend, on, on a Sunday, we kind of put on that face, how you doing? Doing great. But underneath we have all kinds of things going on. And maybe you do with your marriage or with your kids or your grandkids or maybe with your career or maybe with your own health. You have something going on in your own body that's like, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know, with this. Or, or maybe it's just, you know, you crashed your car or got in a fender bender and don't have money to fix it, or you don't have money for your rent. And it's a, it may not be a big deal to others, but it's a big deal to you. 
Here's what I want us to do today. I want us to go to the Bible and God's word, and, and I want us to get some wisdom from the word of God on how we can navigate some of these seemingly impossible and difficult seasons of our lives. And so we're going to spend about 15 minutes diving in uh, to a guy's life named Gideon. Everybody say Gideon. Gideon. And, and maybe if you've been around church a little while, you know who Gideon uh, is. Uh, maybe you're thinking, well, of course I know who Gideon is. He's, you know, the guy who puts all the Bibles in the hotels, you know, on the side thing. Well, that's close. That's the Gideons. That's the group. It's plural. This is just a guy. Okay, it's Gideon. So we're going to dive into his life and spend about 15 minutes here. And then we're going to take our lives and, and kind of put his blueprint into our lives and learn some really cool lessons on when we are facing seemingly impossible situations. Judges chapter 6 Starting in verse 1, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and other eastern people invaded the country. And they camped on the land, and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. Catch this. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They evaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So let's just pause there for just a moment. Here's what's going on back in Gideon's day. The Israelites, which are God's people, Gideon's people, they've done wrong in God's eyes. So he's let them be handed over to the Midianites and be devastated for the last seven years. Everybody say seven years. Seven years, that's a long time. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all these folks have been coming down like swarms of locusts and, and they've been invading their land and stealing their crops and killing their animals. They've basically been doing whatever it is they want to do. And finally, after seven years, the, the, the Israelite people are so beat down. They're, they're so impoverished. They're, they're, they're at the end of their rope. They've had it. Finally, they decide to cry out to God. And again, pause there for a moment, and, and let me just ask you this. Parkview, just answer this in your own mind. Don't, you know, stand up or yell or scream. That, that would be embarrassing, Okay. Do you ever find that, that God is your last option instead of your first resort? Do you ever find, well, I can do it on my own. I can figure this out. I'll keep trying in my marriage. I'll keep trying in my finances. I'll keep trying with my kids. And God becomes this last option instead of your first resort. Or maybe here's another way to say it. Are there things in your life right now that you have been dealing with, that you have been enduring for seven years? I just, I'm pretty sure I'm talking to somebody today that you've been dealing with something for seven years. You've been trying to gut it out. You're on your own strength. You're like, I'm going to do this. I can take care of this. And it's been seven years. For some of you, literally, it's kind of spooky right now because you're going, it has been seven years. Others of you, it's just metaphorically speaking, it's, it's been a long time that you've been enduring something, you've been dealing with something in your life, your family, your finances, your health, whatever it is. And maybe, could it be, Parkview, just could it be that the reason God has you here today is because he's waiting for you to come to the end of your own strength and cry out to him. That's what happens to these folks. After seven years, they finally are ready to admit their weakness 
and they cry out to God. And God sends this angel to this guy named Gideon because Gideon is who God is going to use to free his people and, and lead this, you know, be a warrior against the Midianites and that sort of thing. And what's interesting is where the, the angel of the Lord finds Gideon uh, to give him this message that, you know, you're going to be our leader. Check this out. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from Midianites. Now, now, now notice this, that, that when this angel comes to find this leader, he finds him kind of hidden back in this wine press. He, he doesn't find Gideon sharpening his sword, saying, all right, let's do it, let's go. Go time. He's not making arrows. He's not stockpiling arrows. He's not going over attack strategies with his pals or anything like that. He's, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And if you've ever been around people who are threshing wheat or harvesting wheat and all that kind of thing, I grew up in Kansas, so I've been around some of this. Usually when you're threshing wheat, you do it out in a place where the, the, the chaff can be blown away and things like that, where it can be exposed. You don't usually do it in some more cold, remote, private area, but that's what Gideon is doing. He is hiding out, keeping away from the Midianites so they couldn't find him. This guy... This is so interesting to me, so, so comical to me. This guy that God has chosen to lead his army and free his people is hiding out. And then look at what happens in verse 12. Look at, look at what the angel says. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, now again, picture where he's at. He's kind of hiding out. He's keeping his stuff, getting his food for his family, just trying to stay away, stay out of harm's way. The angel of the Lord said to Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> mighty warrior? Really? Don't you think Gideon was going, what? Who me? Mighty warrior? No, I'm not, I'm not a mighty warrior. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you, you may be a mighty warrior. I mean, you're glowing, so that's cool. Uh, you may be powerful and, and ready to do this, but I'm, I'm hiding out. I'm not a warrior. I, I'm weak. And then he goes on to make all these excuses and how can I save Israel? I'm the weakest in my clan. I'm the least in my family. How am I going to do this? He makes all of these excuses uh, before God, but then he doesn't just stop at making excuses. He begins to test God. He begins to put God to the, to the test. And, and sometimes we do this too. Don't, don't we do this, God? If you will just do that, I'll do this. God, God, if, God if, okay, here's the thing, God. If you'll do that, I'm going to do this. That, that's, what, that's what Gideon does. He puts God uh, to the test. He, God battles all of his excuses. And then I'm not going to read the whole test he puts God through, but I'm just going to kind of tell you what happens. At the end of Judges chapter 6, what Gideon does is he takes this wool fleece, maybe, maybe something like this, a wool fleece, and he says, God, okay, here's the thing. If you're going to use me, in this impossible situation against these Midianites who are like swarms of locusts, there's so many of them. Here's what I want you to do, God. Here's the test. When I take this fleece tonight, when I go to bed, I'm going to put it down on the ground. And I want you to make the fleece all wet when I wake up in the morning, but I want the ground to be all dry. I want the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. And if you can do that, if you can do that, I'll do this, okay, for you. And so that's what he does. He goes to bed and he puts the fleece down and then he gets up the next morning, it says in Judges chapter six, and sure enough, the fleece is all wet. He just wrings it out and there's water in it, but yet the ground is all dry. And God passes the test. It's like this kind of crazy, comical uh, test. And, and again, we, we put God through all kinds of tests like this sometimes, don't we? You know, maybe one of the most popular ones that we do is we're on the freeway. And we've been going maybe a little too fast. And all of a sudden, we see the lights coming up behind us, right? And we do this test with God, right? God, if you will just let that officer go around me 
and be after someone else, if you'll do that, I will never speed again. Right? We put God to test like that. They're just crazy, silly things. That, that's what Gideon does. And here's what happens. God makes this all wet and the ground dry. And then very next, what Gideon says, he says, God, here's, here's what he says literally in chapter six. He says, God, please don't be angry with me, but I know you can make the fleece wet and the ground dry, but can you make the ground wet and the fleece dry? Can you switch it? So I'm going to do that tonight. I'm going to go to bed. And can you do that? Can you switch it up? Can you make the ground all wet and the fleece dry? And sure enough, he wakes up the next morning and the ground all around is wet and the fleece is all dry. And Gideon realizes by chapter seven that God is calling him, that God's going to use him in this impossible situation and scenario. So he goes out and begins to get his army together. He gets together 32,000 people, 32,000 people, which sounds pretty good. The only problem is that the Midianites have, it says, over 120,000 people. And so right at the beginning of chapter 7, there's this voice that comes to Gideon from God. And, and here's what it says. It says, Gideon. I don't know if that, it's deep. It's God. I'm trying to do God, okay? Gideon, it's probably not at all like that. But Gideon, the numbers are all wrong here. Is this voice from God. And can't you just see Gideon going, well, no kidding, God. I mean, they have 120,000, we have 32,000. I'm glad you can do math. And Gideon's dancing around, you know, thinking they're going to get more men. But before he can get too excited about it, the, the voice says, no, Gideon, you have too many men. Translation, you're too strong. Now, let's pause there for just a moment. Too strong. Is it possible to be too strong? When you're going up against an impossible situation in your life, with your family, with whoever it is, is it possible to be too strong? It seems like maybe it is here. That maybe if we look ahead, you know, and jump ahead, what's going to happen is it's Gideon could get the praise and the glory for it rather than God. And so maybe he's just a little bit too strong. So here's what God says. He says, Gideon, here's the deal. Tell, tell your men, any of your men who are afraid, anybody who's a little bit fearful, that they can just go home. I won't hold it against them. He says, all right, I, I guess so. I mean, how, you know, how bad can it be? And so he gets them around. I don't know exactly how he does it, but he gets all 32,000 you know, leaders around, all these warriors around. He says, okay, here's the deal. I've, just been, I've been talking to God. It was pretty cool. And, and here's, here's what God said. God said, any of you all who are scared, you can just head on home. He's not going to hold it against you. He's not going to you know, do anything to you or your family. You just, you just head on home. And guess what? The Bible says 22,000 head home. 22,000 of his people leave. And before he can even start to be, you know, sad or depressed about that, again, a voice of God comes to him. He's got 10,000 men now. The voice of God comes to him and says, Gideon, the numbers are still wrong. And can't you see him going, oh man, no kidding. You got me. That was good. I'm going to get my men back, right? And Gideon, and God says, no, no, no. You still have too many. You still have too many. Yeah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take them down to the river and anybody who gets down on their knees to drink, I want you to send all those folks home. Gideon says, all right, seriously, I mean, how, I mean, how much worse can it get? Well, guess what? It gets worse. 9,700 men get down on their knees to drink. And that leaves Gideon with just 300 people. He started out with 32,000 now he's got 300 against 120,000. Friends, listen, this is an impossible situation that he is facing. 
But yet in Judges chapter 7, verse 7, God says, with these 300 men, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all of the others go home. And for the rest of chapter 7 and 8, it talks about how these 300 men defeat 120,000 men. And they do this, by the way, with just some like jars of clay, some torches, and some trumpets. Everybody say trumpets. Some trumpets. Remember that word trumpets because we're going to come back to that. So let's pause here right now in, in the story of Gideon. And, and, and what I want to do is I want to take that blueprint of Gideon's life and how he faced this impossible situation. I just want to put it over the blueprint of our life. And I want us to learn some things that, that Gideon did that maybe we can do in our lives when we're facing seemingly impossible scenarios. And again, they may not be big to everybody, but they're big to you. They're big deals in your life that you're facing. In fact, check, check this out. When you are facing impossible situations, you need the power of an all things possible God. Somebody say amen. That's what you need, right? Many of us need that in our lives, our kids' lives, our grandkids' lives. Now, the big question is this. We, we know we need this, but here's the question for all of us. Whether you've been in church a whole long time or just today's your first day in church in a long time, here's the big question. How do we get this? How do we get God's presence and power activated in our everyday lives? Is that even, honestly, honest, is that possible? Is that even possible for regular people to have God invade their life in the midst of these big, huge situations? I think it is. Let's take Gideon's blueprint of his life and put it over ours. Here's the first thing that we need to do that Gideon did. You need to be willing to cry out. You need to be willing to cry out. Gideon and his people, it had been seven years, and, and finally they cry out to the Lord for help. This is one of the first key things you and I should do. I promise you this, friends. When you and I get into impossible situations and scenarios in our lives, here's my experience in my life and others. God, in those moments, doesn't just barge in and say, okay, everybody, back off. I got this. No, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't barge into our life. He waits to be invited into our lives. And as we cry out to him and we invite him into the situation, then he gets involved in the situation. But he waits for us to cry out. He doesn't just barge in and take over. Take a look at this in, in Scripture, in Psalm chapter 34. It says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. And he delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Man, I'm thinking about this this week and thinking about Parkview and so many of you that I know and talk with and love and care about. And there's some of you who no doubt have had all kinds of troubles in your life. Some of you have been brokenhearted for all kinds of ways. Some of you, you may not say it exactly like this, but this is the way you feel. You feel just kind of crushed in spirit. And the truth is, for some of you, you you've, been, you've been feeling this way for like seven years. For some of you, literally seven years. And maybe what you need to do is just be willing to, to cry out to get everybody out of the house or to go get in your car, the back deck or something like that and just cry out to God, God, I'm gonna need you in this. I don't know what to do. That's the first thing about inviting God into our lives. We gotta cry out. Here's the next thing. You gotta quit hiding. 
You and I both, you have to quit hiding. Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press. He's hiding out from God. And I believe this, I believe if Gideon were standing here on this stage instead of me, what Gideon, one of the big things he would speak into our lives is this, this very similar thing that many other Bible people we study would speak into our lives, like Adam and Eve who've tried to hide. Remember Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. Remember Jonah, a lot of you know the story of Jonah, him running from God and trying to hide from God. And even King David tried to hide from God in, in just certain areas of, of his life. And, and, and what all these folks and Gideon would say is this to, to you and me. <laughs> you can't do it. You can't hide from God. You, you just, it's not possible to hide from God. In fact, take a look at this in Scripture, in Psalm 139. This is David's writings. This is like we're reading David's journal. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes like night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you and the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Translation from all of these verses and all these sentences, again, listen, you can't hide from God. You just can't do it. I can't do it. Sometimes we try and convince ourselves we can, but, but it's, it's not possible. And so with that truth hanging out there, let me just ask you this. And again, just answer this in your own mind, in your own heart. Have you ever tried to hide? Have you ever tried to hide from God in your life? And maybe not in just a huge general way, not you're just running from everything in your faith in your life. Maybe, maybe just like little ways, maybe just little portions of your life you try and hide from God. Maybe some of you, it's relationally speaking. Some of you are dating somebody. You're, you're a young adult and you're dating somebody you know you should not be dating. That, that, that's where you are. You're trying to hide that portion of your life from God. And, and I don't know who I'm speaking to, but I'm, I know I'm speaking to probably somebody about that. And some of you are going, oh no, he's going there. You're dating somebody you shouldn't be dating. You're engaged to somebody you should not be engaged to and you know it. And if it was just me and you, if you're a guy and if it was just me and you sitting around having a coffee, here's the kind of conversation you would have with me. You would say, Todd, 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 but listen, listen, Todd, she she is really, really, really cute. And I would say, yeah, but she's not a follower of Jesus. She's not a Christian. Her life is not headed in the same direction that your life is headed in. But you would say something like this, but Todd, I, I, I get that. But Todd, I also know it's so much easier for somebody to become a Christian than it is to become really, really, really cute. Right? It's so much easier. So here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for God to just bear with me. Bear with me in this, and you're kind of trying to hide just that part of your life from God. You don't want his wisdom and counsel on that. Or maybe you're married, and, and you're getting a little bored, and you're married. You have somebody else come into your life, and you're pursuing them. And, and you know you don't want God's wisdom and counsel. You don't want his people chiming in to this part of your life. Because you know you want to escape your marriage, and God would want you to endure in your marriage. And so you just have this little section of your life that you're trying to keep away from him. You're hiding that section of your life from him. Or maybe it's your financial life. Maybe God's been really generous to you, but you're not generous to a whole lot of other people, honestly. And you know, if you brought your financial life and laid it before God and asked, how am I doing? He would look at you and say, well, you are not doing great. I mean, you're making the best money you've ever made, but you're not being generous to people. And so we try and just keep God out of this area and out of this section of our lives. And I just want you to realize this, friends. 
If you have things in your life that you're hiding from God, like I think we all do. I have those for sure at times. Things you're hiding from God, I, I want you to realize this, that you can hide where you can't see God, but you can't hide where God can't see you. It's not possible. You can justify things. You can get away. You can put God in the rear view mirror of your life, if you will, for a long time and just real to where you really don't see him anymore, but you can't hide where God can't see you. I remember when my kids were young, Ruby and Cole, uh, we would play hide and go seek all the time. And I used to love hide and go seek because, you know, it was just such a, you know, it doesn't cost any money. You can play it wherever you want to. And uh, so we played it all, all the time. And, and my daughter, Ruby, maybe she's five or six years old and she got the game pretty well. But I remember teaching my son, Cole, the game of hide and seek. He was just maybe two or three years old. And, and we would say, okay, Cole, here's what you do. Daddy's going to count and you and Ruby are going to go hide and, and then I'll come and find you. And so for, for, for many, many times we played that game, for many, many months, my son Cole, I would start to count and he would go hide and here's what he would almost always do. Cole would just go over, if like this is the couch, Cole would go over and just stand <laughs> with his big, huge cheeks right by the couch and just be still. He would just stand there. Right beside the couch. He wouldn't get behind the couch. He wasn't hiding behind it like this and, and trying to get it. He wasn't behind pillows. He didn't have a blanket. He wasn't putting a blanket over him, you know, and being like a big bump or anything like that. He, he would just, he would go, <laughs> just stand right beside the couch. And then here's what he'd do. He thought this was genius. Here's what he would do to play hide and go seek. He would stand right beside the couch and then he would do this. <laughs> and he would put his hands over his eyes so he couldn't see anything and he was hiding. He was hiding in plain sight. And it sounds so silly. It sounds like a little kid, doesn't it? But here's the thing. When I start thinking about me, and maybe some of you start thinking about you, I think this is what we do. We stand before an almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing God, and we kind of put our hands over our eyes, and we think if he can't see, if I can't see him, he can't see me. And I'm doing okay in this area. I can keep all these areas really good and really Christian and really following after Jesus, but I can hide this area. And I just want to say that that's, that's just not true. And I want to say this to you today. Would you allow today, I know I'm talking to somebody in this, would you allow today to be the day that you quit hiding I don't know what that means for you, but I'm pretty sure you know what it means as soon as I say it. If we're gonna experience God's power and his presence in those seemingly impossible situations and scenarios of our lives, we first of all have to cry out to him we have to be willing to quit hiding areas of our life. We have to come clean with him before him and just say, God, we have to let God know what God already knows, essentially. Cry out, quit hiding. And then here's the last thing of the blueprint of Gideon's life I want to put over our life. And you're just going to probably love this. Here's what you have to do. You have to admit you're weak. <laughs> you have to admit you're weak. And I know right now some of you are going, well, okay, that's it. I'm not taking any more notes. I'm not writing anything down. 
You can just pray right now, Todd. I'm going home right now. First of all, you th- I'm not, I'm, you're saying I got to cry out. First of all, I don't think I'm going to cry out. I'm not a crier. I mean, that was all good, and I see Gideon did, but I'm, I don't think I'm going to do it. I'm just letting you know. I doubt if I'm going to cry out. I just don't think I will. And then you're saying I got to quit hiding. I don't know that I'll quit hiding, Todd. I mean, I'd love to think about quit hiding, but if I did quit hiding, that would be embarrassing. It would embarrass me. It would embarrass my whole family. If I let some of these things out, if I quit hiding, that would be incredibly embarrassing. And now you're saying I got to say I'm weak. I'm not going to do it. I'm not weak. I'm not going to say I'm weak. I don't want to say I'm weak. And listen, if you have any of that inside of you, I get it. I'm the same way. When it comes to all of those things, especially when it comes to my weaknesses, for, for so many years, listen, I, I despised my weaknesses. I would do whatever I could to hide my weaknesses. I needed to be the strongest. I needed to be the fastest. I needed to be the smartest. And I despised my weaknesses until something happened in my backyard when I was right at 30 years old. And this event changed my whole life and how I view God and how I view my weakness and need for him and his help. Let me tell you what happened. 30 years old, I'm a youth pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, Southeast Christian Church. I come home on a typical night, five, six o'clock. I've been working with kids or adults all day, working on messages. I was tired. I'd come home and I'd set out on our back deck in our house. We had a pretty good size yard. We had a great deck, maybe a third of an acre or something like that. It was, it was fairly nice backyard. And I would just sit in this really good chair and I'd have a Dr. Pepper or a Mountain Dew and I would have the paper to read and I would just unwind. I would do that in the, in the spring, in the summer, in the fall as much as I could. And as soon as I would do that, my little girl, Ruby, who was just four or five years old at that point, uh, would spring into action. Here's actually a picture of Ruby during those, during those years. Uh, She has the little pigtails and that sort of thing. And as soon as I would sit down on the back porch, she would run out onto the back porch and she would go out to the swing set that we had in the back right corner of our yard. We had one of those big wooden swing sets, you know what I'm talking about, that has the big kind of clubhouse in it and monkey bars and ropes and swings and things like that. And she would run out there to that swing set and she would start performing doing all her little things and all her little tricks that she could do and hanging upside down and going sideways and spinning and all these things her friends had taught her and she would be calling out to me, dad, look at this, look at this and just constantly, you know, and, and I would kind of look up from the paper and that sort of thing and, and she would, you know, say, come out here, daddy, help me do this or, or look at this and, and so I would watch her but, but I'll be honest with you, I, I really, I didn't want to get up. I was tired, and some of you parents know that. I'm like, no, you're good, babe. That's cool. And I'm reading the paper and that sort of thing. And listen here, I was so proud of Ruby and her skills and her gifts and her strengths and all that kind of stuff. I just didn't want to get up. And then one evening, I'm sitting there reading the paper, and I'm kind of looking at her just above the paper, and I see her from this monkey bar. She's hanging by like a leg doing something really special. And she falls maybe just four or five feet, not far, but she falls and hits the ground and she cries out, Daddy! Cries out to me. And I want you to know, Parkview, I don't even remember where I left the paper. And I was out to her in like three steps. I covered like 60 feet in like three steps. And I was right beside her, scooping her up, making sure she was okay. And here's what I learned. That evening, I am so proud of Ruby and all of her skills and all of her strengths and all of her abilities, but I am undeniably attracted 
to her weakness when she needs me. When she calls out for my help, you can't keep me away from her. You can't keep me down when she calls out for my help. And here's what I would say to you, Parkview. Be brave. Be brave and put your weakness on display before God. And I promise you, your weakness will take you to places with God that your strength never could. It's just true. Now take a look at this in the Bible. Second Corinthians, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You've probably seen that. It doesn't seem to make sense that in my weakness I could be strong. But that's the way it works. Even think back to Gideon. In his weakness, he was strong because God was strong. God was going to get the praise. God was going to get the glory. And when we get weak, but yet we endure and have victory, God gets the praise and the glory for that. When we're weak, we can actually be strong. Or what about this in 1 Corinthians? I love this from the message version of the Bible. It says, take a good look, friends. Who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretenses of the somebodies. Uh, that makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a, a clean slate and a fresh start, it comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have this saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Everybody say trumpet. Remember we said that about 25 minutes ago. We said the word trumpet about 25 minutes ago. Here's the whole thing, pulling this all together. Well, you can blow a trumpet for God. If you want to get praise, then give God the praise. Don't, don't blow the trumpet for yourself and how strong I am. Well, you guys have great kids. Well, it's because I'm just an amazing parent. No, don't, don't blow your own horn. Blow the trumpet for God and what he's doing. Well, you have a fantastic marriage. Well, it's because, you know, we just, we just, we're so good. We're so smart. No, give God the praise. Blow the trumpet for God. Give him the glory. Give him the praise. That's exactly what happens if we go back to the story of Gideon. What happened is in, in chapter 7 and 8 there is Gideon takes his 300 people near nighttime, in the nighttime, and, and he puts them in groups of 100 all around this swarm of locusts like Midianites, 120,000 of them. And when Gideon says he has them smash those clay jars which expose the torches, so now the Midianites look like they're surrounded. They start freaking out. And then it says they blow the trumpet for God. Not their own swords, they don't have swords. Not their own strength, they just start, they blow the trumpets for God, it says, and God casts them into confusion. They start battling each other, they start killing each other, and they start to flee, and God brings them this victory. They give God the praise, they give God the glory. They're, they're crying out to him, they, they quit hiding, they admit they need his help, and God leads them to Victory, And you know what? That's the same way God works in, in, in our lives. I think this blueprint from Gideon's life is a good blueprint for us as well. If you're going to blow a horn, if you're going to blow a trumpet, blow it for God and bring praise and attention and applause to him. 
Now, let me say just one last thing here, and we'll pull it together and sing a song and head out into a new week. I, my guess is that some, some of you guys have been trying to just gut things out and do things on your own strength for a long time. You've been up against some insurmountable type thing in your life, your marriage, your finances, your kids, your car payments, and you've been trying to just gut it out. And here's kind of what you're thinking. If we could have a conversation, you're thinking this right now, Todd, this is all great and this is all good, but here's, here's the thing. I don't know, if, if I cried out, I don't even know if God would hear me. I've left him so far behind in my life. He's been in the rear view of my life for so long. I don't even know if he would hear me. Or if I quit hiding, Todd, I've been hiding so many parts for so long. I don't even know if God could find me. He's so far in the past of my life. I want to share one last picture with you. And I hope this picture will put a mental image into your head that maybe you'll never forget. I think we can learn a spiritual principle from this picture. Take a minute to absorb this. Objects in mirror are closer than they appear. I promise you, the cross of Jesus, the power of God, the presence of God, the grace of God, the strength of God, the forgiveness of God, listen, it is closer to you in your life than you think. And if you would just be willing to admit you need help, to cry out, to quit hiding, if you would be willing to just step towards God, guess what? He will be this close, this quick. No matter who you are, he'll be, he'll be like this close, this quick. He is closer than you think, and he'll be right there just like I was right there with Ruby on the swing set. And you will begin to experience the presence and the power of God in these seemingly impossible circumstances and situations of your life. We cry out to him, God, I'm not going to be able to do this. We quit hiding areas of our lives. We admit we need his help. We put our weakness on display. And then we trust him and give him the praise and the glory. Somebody say amen for the victory. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for a time to dig in, study your word. Take a look at this guy named Gideon who went up against impossible odds. And God, there's so many of us, as you know, God, we feel like we're facing somewhat impossible odds as well. And God, I pray today that by the power of your Holy Spirit, not by my words, but by your spirit, you could have done something and changed and rearranged and made this exactly what we need to hear. And God, we would indeed, with your strength, begin to realize some victory in our lives. God, God, let us not be ashamed to cry out to you. Let us quit hiding stuff. Let us put our weakness on display so your strength can be evident. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says amen. Amen. amen.